calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover. And you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Podiobooks.com, in association with pjballantine.net and writersexchange.com, presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Ballantyne. Light pierced her eyelids. She was cold and wet, and her first conscious action was to shudder. Her head was throbbing, and she could feel a slightly warmer trickle down her cheek. That had to be blood. At this particular point, Ashimay really didn't care. Something soft touched her face, a cloth of some sort, wiping up the line of blood. It moved on to clean her whole face, finding more cuts and bruises. She began to feel more alive, though, but carefully kept her eyes shut, trying to assess the rest of her situation. That had to be a wall at her back, she decided, which she lay slumped against. Her hands were bound. There was the feeling of cold metal about them. There was also an impression of space, and the definite sense of someone nearby, the wielder of the cloth. Giving in to curiosity, as she may opened her eyes. Garen's face was very close to her own. For a long time she stared into his eyes, trying to align this reality with her previous one. It was a conscious effort not to show him her emotion. It was hard to look on that face, though, and not remember. Indeed, for a moment, it was as if none of the few weeks had happened, but only for a moment. His hand was in her hair, and she remembered with a lurch the last time she'd seen him. A thin cotton sheet, lying back in the sun, he'd looked so beautiful. Straddling his chest, her fingers remembered the feeling of his skin beneath them. His hands were on her, twisting a curl of her red hair about his finger. If she had known that it was going to be the last time they would enjoy bed sport, she would have imprinted her memory more carefully. Despite her hatred of him, she found that she was still aroused. A fickle thing was body and memory. He knew none of this, she hoped. Ash, he whispered, flicking a wisp of her hair back from her face gently. Are you all right? That's hardly your concern. She recognised this place, the trader's hall in Merlot. It had, however, been stripped of all the rich textiles and tables she remembered. Her hands were manacled to the wall by a ring that had once restrained cattle, but she heaved against them nevertheless, clanking metal noisily against stone. Glancing at them disparagingly, she said, You do like your chains, don't you, Garin? She gave him an even look, so he wouldn't mistake her meaning. Skellig, 
Uriah said. I know. You have to believe me, Ash. I never meant to hurt you. I thought this had to be done. The weavers were coming, and Chrisfell would be invaded either way, and so you decided that you'd better get me thrown off a bridge, did you? She returned with a grim twist of her mouth. Don't tell me that you didn't mean to hurt me, Garen. What did you think that little fool would do? Make me mildly annoyed? He meant to kill me and deceive all of Chrisfell into helping the weavers. I meant well. His eyes were almost hurt. You have to believe me, Ash. The guards were supposed to capture you. Never, not ever throw you off. I can't trust you. She turned her head away. I can't. Garen held her then, though she arched her back and tried to twist away. The chains would not let her. Her already damaged skin grazed against the stone. Realizing she would injure herself before she accepted his hold, Garen released her. His hands shaking. I know it won't be easy, Ash. I know that I've done so many things wrong, but I'll let you take your time. We don't have any time, Garen. Any of us. Holding her breath, Ashimay shuddered. Her teeth were chattering in her head, and her sodden armor felt like ice about her. I have to keep calm, she thought. I have to not let him see what I'm feeling. I don't love him. I don't care. I hate him. She repeated it to herself like a mantra. Garen stood back for a while, watching her, trying to judge what was going on in her head. Ashimay regarded him also out of the corner of her eye, with emotions of all shapes and colours tumbling within her. He turned away for a moment, undoing a small bag at his feet. He chatted to her amiably as he removed dry clothes and thick towels from it. I hear that you called a clan moot, <laughs> and pretended that you were pregnant. An interesting move, Ash. But any that know about women warriors' ways would know that they always take curdle. Then they'd know there was no way. I'll take that chance," she growled. "If I'd known you wanted children, Ash, then perhaps you should have told me." He laid out the clothes and approached her with the towels. One he proceeded to rub her hair with. She bore it. "I'm never more glad of curdle than when I think of you," Ashimay snarled while he massaged her curls. A flash of him combing her copper tresses over his knees. Wrapping it around his hand, pulling her in, Garen stopped and smiled gently at her. And when, pray tell, did you last take some ash? At her glance, he laughed a little. Perhaps you can return to Crisville then and not be lying. I'd rather chew off your face, she replied sweetly, or anything else that gets in my way. I understand you're angry, Ash. I was only teasing. He began to undo the straps of her armor with some difficulty. The leather was swollen. Leave me alone! Now, Ash, that's just stupid. You'll freeze if I don't get these things off. I'd rather if you don't mind. I do actually," he returned mildly. "I don't want you to catch cold. <laughs> I could have caught cold in the river you had me thrown into." Ignoring her, he went about his work. He stripped her thoroughly from boot to gauntlet, dropping them in a soggy pile in the corner. Ashimay remained tight-lipped, letting her hair fall in her eyes. Giving her some privacy from his look, then he dried her off with gentle strokes of the towels—towels, as she may have thought grimly, that had probably belonged to some weaver-taken clanswoman. Beneath her hair, a few tears escaped her. She hoped he wouldn't notice. Garen was looking at her, tracing the curves and planes of her body. She had never liked it when he did that before. 
She was all too aware that she wore the scars of a warrior and was far from the perfection of court ladies. Yet she would not give him the satisfaction of flinching. Bending, he ran a warm hand over her leg, pressing the edges of the angry red mark that was all that remained of her broken limb. She couldn't help it. That's your doing, Garin. It could have been worse, I suppose, but that's all yours. His head dropped against her naked leg, his stubble rasping on her skin. It had to be, Ash. I tried to find another way, but there wasn't. Oh, Mother, give me strength for this. Ashimay wished she could find the rage of her father, the rage that had swelled up in her at Skellig. Cold metal could not hold the power of that. Already she could see in her mind the white light of it. It would engulf all of her, and there would be no turning back. Geron's face of shock as the mountain of her revenge came tumbling upon him. All of this she could see, but not grasp. Too much sadness and loss hung about her. It was a fickle gift, a fickle curse. I can't trust you ever again, she managed through a tight throat. You broke it, Geron, all that we had. You betrayed Crisfell and me, and there is no going back from that. Never. Don't say that, he rumbled. She could see the anger in him. He was using it to shield himself from himself. You and I are more than that. He kissed her then, forcing her head roughly against the wall, hands holding her while he tried to remind her of the past. For a brief second she allowed it, remembering their first kiss, the first time she had loved him. Then she set herself against him. Sweet mother! Geron flinched back in absolute shock, clutching his torn, bleeding mouth. Smiling more than a little, Ashimay turned her head and spat his blood to the floor. She didn't even want the taste of him in her. Now there was rage in his eyes, making it easier for her. Nothing survived of the man she had fallen in love with. There was only an alien and a stranger that she hated. Coldly, he started towards her. Lord of Crisfell. A whisper of a threat from the doorway. That halted him. The figure moved into the light. Ashimay recognised something about this creature. Weaver Art had left the face and hair of someone she knew intact. Was this the intention? Of course, she remembered dark-haired Orla, her younger cousin, smallest of her uncle's children. As a youngster, Ashimay had dawdled her on her knee, and in that brief moment she had been entranced by babies. Orla had been a sweet child, always dreaming her dreams, but never saying much. Often she had watched Ashimay's battle practices, and even without a sword, had mimicked her. But the path of war was not for this little one. Ashimay had always hoped that she'd be happy on the island, happy to wear the lafe of the clan, fish a little, and dance a lot. Orla had not made it to the caves beneath Dunleary, and now Ashimay knew why. Orla's face smiled, but her eyes were dead and blank. Something else moved within her form. Ashimay roared, stretching the chains and grasping with clawed hands. None deserved this travesty, least of all the gentlest of the clan. The weaver Orla cocked her head, looking at her with the interest of a sparrow examining a snail. Get out of her! Ashimay screamed, tears she had held until now breaching her defences. The mother's name, get out! Superstitious something will not release the hold on this flesh, it said in a sing-song pattern. And such efforts will only damage your own. She slumped back against the wall, suddenly aware of her vulnerability. 
These creatures had no honour. They would take her body and mould it to their own alien designs. Even death would not prevent this. She was cornered. Perhaps you should follow your lord's example, it continued, dropping a travesty of a smile in Geron's direction. He has seen that the way is right. He has chosen to aid us. It is only logical to do so. It moved closer, peering into her face, as if trying to understand some alien emotion hidden there. Its hands were on the manacles, releasing her, but not to freedom. You should be grateful that Asriel's rescued you from the deluge. Your flesh is preserved. Trying to maintain some shred of dignity, Ashimay swept up the clothes Garen had denied her, fresh and warm, and slipped them on. She owed them nothing. After all, it was they that must have changed the course of the underground river. And undoubtedly, they had their own reasons. Whatever they wanted of her, she was not going to go around naked. In such circumstances, even the luxury of clothing should be appreciated. From now on, as she may understood, each moment she lived was on the weaver's sufferance. She wondered how much there was of that, and why they had not used her already. Or Garen, for that matter. Weaver Orla clasped her arm, her cold fingers pressing through the thin cloth. You share, you share our blood, 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 blood. We feel it. Already you are part of us. Let that blood lead you to the truth. She guided the stunned warrior from the building. Garen trailed in their wake. He had nothing else to do. Out into the sunlight they went, into what remained of Morlow Town. Her mind was racing, trying to work out why she was still herself, why they had brought her here. This larger town had suffered the same fate as Dunleary, but more. Shapes that had once had the grace of humanity now moved to different rhythms and different purposes. The baker's chimney, which had been constantly smoking every time she'd seen it, was dead, and the indoor banged in the wind. No house-proud keeper remained to secure it. Weavers gave no importance to places. But then again, as she may reminded herself, she had no idea exactly what they did place importance on. The sense of community was gone, though. Morlow was dead, and this was what they planned for Crisfell. Now do you see? she hissed angrily to Garen. Do you see what you've helped happen? Aren't you proud? He looked away, his back stiff, rigid with the pride that had always been in him, but she had never seen. You are angry, the weaver at her side said. All his face twitched in odd ways which made her sick. This is only because you do not understand. Once the work is done, you will know and fear no more. Briefly she thought about running, wildly across the open ground to the sea. Perhaps they would cut her down before then. Perhaps they would let her swim until she sunk. Either way, there'd be an end to it. But curiosity held her here. Here was her first chance to find out what went on in a weaver's head. Through a dry throat, she managed to speak. What do you want? Why are you here? The weaver looked confused, her head tilted on one side. As she may have seen that expression before, it was disturbingly like Lou or Solistra listening to the divine. We have, we have, we have no wants, no or, wants desires, or desires, as you as know, you them, know them, them, Orla continued, her eyes flickering about, focusing on nothing. Power, conquest, money, 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 none of these none things, of things are of slightest, slightest interest to us. us. We, are we are as far as beyond, beyond you, you as you as are you beyond are fish. fish. These are These our are islands, islands, Lady Lord, Lord, and have always been. We have returned, we have returned to, finish to finish our task. task. What task would that be? No answer came. 
Orla's face suddenly became flat and expressionless, as if the weaver behind the mask could no longer be bothered with it. What, what do you what do want, Ashley? What does what any does person want? She shrugged, feigning indifference to the ramblings of the weaver Orla. To belong. The sigh came like a lover's moan from Orla. All, All you, you ever, ever want, want is to belong. Is to belong. Why else do you convince yourself of the existence of love, eternal love, which is obviously impossible? Why else do you join our bodies? Why else do you search for the unobtainable, the divine, as you call it? You all desire to be part of a greater whole. We are that whole. Her eyes turned on Ashime, glittering, joyful. And totally mad, she shrank back, shivering at the sentiment. She, like anyone else, had felt the sharp edges of loneliness and despair, but this—it beggared the imagination. No, that's not right. I quite like my individuality, thank you. Orla shrugged. It is irrelevant. You will join us, and then realize the truth. But for now, you will serve in another way. I serve no one. Orla regarded her oddly, and Ashime could almost hear the workings of the weaver within. You, you will serve our purpose, and then and you then will join. join. You cannot, you cannot avoid, avoid it. it. But first, first you will you order your people, your people to, make to make more boats for us, build faster. faster. Then, then they will they be rewarded will be by coming with them. They could not construct. She knew then. They needed great ships to cross the Shias Straits between Crisfell and Sitkin. It was no passage to try and make in one of the smaller island catches. She had heard the rumours of the powerful magic of the Sitkin, but placed no credence on them. The weavers seemed powerful enough to dispel half-heard myths. Ashime closed her eyes, partly against the hard reality of the weavers, partly so she didn't have to look into Geron's deceiving eyes. The sting of the sea sprayed through her hair and wet lips. That was the only pure thing left here. Morlo and Dunleary, and most likely all the rest of the outer islands, were gone. Crisfell alone remained their target, and from there, probably all the rest of the islands, both large and small. Despair gripped her, and for a moment she was lost. How could they possibly hope to survive this, let alone win? And yet her mind whispered, they had tried once before and failed. Surely there was a chance that they might fail again. Opening her eyes, though, she saw that nothing had changed. The weaver, who wore Orla like a dress, remained silent at her side. An infinite patience lived there. They had waited a long time to return to Crisfell, and had waited here a space as well. Now they were ready. The waves slapped against the shore in a similar eternal pattern. Ashime suddenly felt light. Her armor, much as she valued it, had weighed her down, but now they had freed her of it. Geron had his back to her, and Orla seemed distant, communing with something Ashime couldn't understand. Run, her heart told her. Run now, and if they slay you for it, then at least you won't be one of them in your soul. So she listened, and she did. No matter that it was foolish, pointless, and utterly unpredictable. Bare feet rasped on the sand-covered street, and she reveled in the flex of her legs under her. I'm flying. She thought, as the wind howled about her and the smell of the ocean lured her on. Behind her, Geron's voice cried out, urging her on or trying to warn the weavers. She couldn't tell. She didn't care. 
I'm ready to die. This really is what this feeling is. Will it be an arrow, a blade, or will my heart simply stop? She was aware of weavers about her, standing, watching, not moving. I have them entranced, she thought to herself. They can't touch me. The sea beckoned at the end of the street, and then she was there. A grasp around her ankle tumbled Ashime to the ground. Quick as a cat, she bent over and tried to pry loose the long, clawed fingers from her leg. The body attached slowly emerged from the sand, like a worm from the earth. Almost all humanity had been leached from it, and the eyes that looked blankly back at her were filmed over and hard. No sight was needed for this form. The rage eluded her, even in the face of such horror. She lay numbly there while the creature slithered up from in front of her. It was only now that she felt like howling in frustration. Ashime let them gather her up like so much baggage and take her back to the hall. Someone had hung her armour up to dry so it would not ruin. Her sword lay beside it. They mocked her with their nearness, but were denied. Ashime flicked off the hands that touched her, hiding her head in her arms and huddling against the wall. Even when those hands locked the manacles about her wrists, she didn't move. She heard Garen slump down next to her. The door was slammed behind them. Obviously, she still was of some use to them. Ashime had really never known true despair. A sunny child, a loved friend, even the death of her adored father had not cut her down like this. A blank depression had seized hold of her heart. There was no way out of this situation she found herself in. Even tears seemed inappropriate. Garen sat down next to her, taking in her miserably hunched form. Ash, do you remember the dance? Had remembrance flooded even his hardened soul? They'd been dancing at Skellig, the Harvest Festival, when guards, clanspeople and townsfolk all mingled. She had been wearing the lafe of her clan, standing joking with her friends. When she laughed, she laughed with her whole body, her long throat raised to the ceiling. Ashime looked up. Her eyes were heavy with sorrow and despair. All is gone, she thought. All my years wasted with you. Why did I not see it? They could have stayed like that for an age, looking at each other, for the first time really seeing the other as a person. Every fault and wrinkle and imperfection was right there. Outside there were hisses, like dry skin moving on stone. It was a sound of rage. The weavers were moving. Footsteps echoed through the streets, claws and tentacles slipping on the cobblestones. Garen crouched down next to her, his lips so close that she could feel them on her neck. The Alphas have creatures that swim, Ash. They tore apart the fire which beneath us. I don't think any of us are going to make it out of here alive. No way back from the outer islands this time. She gasped and held her breath as his mouth touched the curve of her cheek. Garen rose. She let him. He looked down into her face, reaching out to brush a stray strand of her hair back from her eyes. He said nothing, but bent down, his hand catching at hers. When he withdrew... She looked down at the small key he had left behind. Ashima opened her mouth to say something, but he was already gone. Ashima could feel the weight lifting from about her. True, her love had proved false, but she still lived, and she still had friends who cared, a home and a cause worth dying for. Perhaps there was a way out, Hope whispered to her. Almost on cue, she heard the cry in the words of the clan's dialect, Dunleary! Dunleary! Then rose a clash of swords and a huge swell of shouting. Hastily she fitted the key and turned it. The depression of moments before had left her. The armour was still wet, but its weight was comforting. 
The cries of her clan rattled the shutters and stirred her bones to action. A fight was on somewhere, and Ashime's warrior instincts thrilled to it. Garen had blocked the door behind him, perhaps thinking to keep her from the fight. To her, though, that was merely another indication that he didn't know her as well as he thought. The battle rang out again, one sound from many throats. She smiled, and lashing out with one boot secured her freedom. She ran out to join the fray. The streets were madness. Weavers of all shapes and sizes ran and slithered in a mass of confusion. Somewhere, something was burning. The weavers didn't seem to know where to go. Ashime slipped away easily enough and made her way hastily down to the docks, towards the ruckus. This was more like it. Two ships pulled up at the dock, one the familiar shape of Sweet Lady, the other a dark ship. On the deck she could see rows of archers pouring arrows into the heaving mass of weavers. A wedge of fighters was scything their way through the press of enemies in her direction. Jerris's golden form and Connor's pale head she could easily distinguish. Ashime laughed aloud and returned their cry, Deliri! Now she moved, just as the weavers seemed to have recovered themselves a little. A hooked forearm lashed out at her. She leapt aside nimbly, throwing her weight behind a blow of her own. The weavers seemed slower somehow. She knew something was different. There was no shifting of form and no lightning strikes of unnatural speed. The clan had no reason to be here, no excuse, and yet they'd come for her. Fools and idiots, she thought fondly. She flew into the middle of her enemies, glorying in the heady joy of battle. Ashime's body moved to dark, deadly, familiar rhythms. Soon she found herself face to face with her clansmen across the bodies of the dead. Her grandfather sheathed his great sword and clasped her close. Thought we'd lost you there for sure, me girl. Must have inherited some of me stubbornness. Jerris, a broad white smile on his face, the blood of his kind on his blades, swept her up too, while Connor pounded them on the back in excitement. She found herself laughing, such joy following hard on the heels of such despair. The weavers were in retreat, fleeing from the remains of Morlo, as if they were burned, not the town. Such a victory ought to be pushed, yet the clanspeople stood back, and as she watched, began to retreat. Ashime's blood was up. Come on! she called, breaking away from them a little. Let's finish them off! Connor shook his head and caught hold of her arm. We go back to the ships, now! He turned his head and spat a wad of green herbage onto the ground. What do you mean? she hissed shocked to see the clan climbing back into the boats that had brought them here. She recognised the smell of the plant, but could not immediately identify it. Jerris was almost pushing her from behind. We have no time to explain, Ash. For once in your life, do as you're told. We know what we're doing. Allowing herself to be manhandled aboard the dark ship, she shook her head in amusement. Perhaps she was becoming soft in her old age. Quickly they were cast off, and most of the clan drew on the oars to get them free of the dock. Looking back, she could see weavers already massing in the hills of Morlo, and she knew that Garen would be among them. It was a good thing that they were leaving. Ashime could not say for certain how she would have reacted seeing Garen over her sword edge. That was a problem for a later day. A much later day, she hoped. For now, there was much to do. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e- or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. 
Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.